You're listening to the After The Show Movie Podcast from ascully.com. Your weekly look at movies, video games, and more brought to you by your hosts, Ace Scully and Sid Talk. We're addicted to movies. Are you? Hello, everybody. Hello, Sid Talk. Hello. Hello. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. This fine Saturday afternoon. Aren't you very considerate? I am. Very considerate. <laughs> You're sounding very proper. Yeah. Uh, I'm good. All right. What were we talking about before we start the show? Mm, you were sort of drooling over this movie and Paul Thomas Anderson. I wasn't drooling. <laughs> I was drinking some tea. You're a fan, let's just say. Right. I thought you meant actual drool, you know, liquid coming out. Mm, there could have been. <laughs> All right, let's get on with it. It is Saturday, March the 5th. This is After the Show, we're a movie review podcast. This is episode 726. The movie we're looking at this week is Licorice Pizza. It's a 2021 film. You can watch it on streaming right now. The Blu-ray comes out soon. It's rated R from our friends at Universal. Sid Talk, give us a synopsis of Licorice Pizza. Boy meets woman. That's a good synopsis. Mm-hmm. Can I give you the one? Sure. The official sure, one? sure, sure, sure. The story of Alana Kane and Gary Valentine growing up, running around, and going through the treacherous navigation of first love in the San Fernando Valley, 1973. I mean, that sounds a bit more... Mm, Detailed? The, oh, than mine, yeah. But as far as like <laughs> the actual movie goes, I don't know. We are looking at Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, Licorice Pizza. Sid Talk, I loved it. The end. <laughs> the end. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had no doubt, because if people don't know, you're a bit of a drooler, like I said, about Paul Thomas Anderson. Now, I would be super biased reviewing this movie because I'm a fan, but then Correct. maybe not because I dislike Inherent Vice. You actually dislike it or you just don't love it? I feel like I dislike it. It's never gelled with me. Okay. I've tried it twice. I mean, there's a difference between disliking and just not liking. I admire it. From, okay. But I don't, I don't connect with it in any way. Maybe you I need like to take s- more drugs. Hmm. <laughs> Remember? It was pretty trippy. I don't recall it that much. I wasn't in love with it, so. There you go. You don't like it either. I didn't. Di- oh, no, no, no. See, I think there's a <laughs> difference between. Just being like, mm, whatever, and actually disliking something. I don't remember disliking it. Getting on to licorice pizza. What did you think? I loved it. Loved? I did love it. I really enjoyed it. I like the the setup, you know, sort of this like, so we're going to do spoilers. We're going to just tell the whole thing. And Might not, as well do not spoilers. Not that there's really anything to spoil. Please but go and see this movie. It's just a story about two people. I mean, that's it. There's no big twist it's not m night Shyamalan or anything you're just like following these two people so a 15 year old boy comes on to or hits on or asks out on a date a 25 year old young woman who's working at the school assisting the photographer taking the school pictures correct photographer's disgusting and he's the first disgusting man we meet in the movie let's not hide behind this paul thomas anderson has a knack for portraying very sleazy men yeah he does now, I'm not saying women aren't culpable for some a little bit of sleaziness, and this lady, she's got her issues, right? But seriously, 
the man smacking her on the ass when we first come into the movie. I was like, okay. And then we kind of just keep skirting around that theme that all the men she comes in contact with, except her father, because he seems all right. Yeah. The dude who works for the congressman guy or whatever he is. Seemed all right. He seemed all right. Even our main character does not seem all right. <laughs> he seems pretty sleazy for a 15-year-old boy. You know what I mean? Gary. Yeah, Gary. So the story is really just, I kind of fell in love with it as soon as they're talking and it's like this instant natural vibe between them. Yeah. And I'm on board with that. I've had that with people before where you've never met the person. In fact, somebody who's listening to this maybe in the future, and it's a friend, not a romantic friend. This is a, a female friend that within a few minutes of us just talking, it was like that. We weren't ornery with each other or like snarky. It was more just like click, 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 click. Right. And I really identified with that, that they just instantly had this sort of like she can't even imagine that this 15 year old has the nerve to ask her out. Because he is very, he's full of bravado. He's very full of, not bravado like machismo, but more like... He's not got much of a filter. He, he says just, he's a showman, and yeah. that's what he is. He's selling himself to her, basically. And then you just see the glimmer in her eye that she's like, hmm, well. Now that could be controversial. Well, it is controversial, right? Because sure. it's... And I've seen people who hate this movie because they think they, this topic should not be discussed. It is... Ridiculous. It's a woman taking advantage of a child. The end. And that's what I was just reading. I do see that point of view. I get that. It's just that sometimes in movies, but then again, I'm I could be a hypocrite because I'm not sure how it would how I would think about it in any other context. But first of all, we never see them engaging in any sexual or intimate We do not. We do not. Oh. There isn't. No, not really. No. Not till the very last even she then. shows him her boobs, but that's we don't see it, and it's very quick. And I'm not advocating that. Don't do not get me wrong. People are very sensitive about this shit, but I get it. If my son was 15 and a 25 year old came around and took her dress off to show me show him her boobs, I'd be pissed off. She would probably get a call from the police, right? I'm not saying this is okay, right? However, this is fiction, and we're depicting two people who. If you really watch closely, it's not a tale of how to have a relationship. It's how to not have a relationship. Like, you shouldn't be a 25-year-old woman hanging around with a bunch of teenagers trying to make a buck constantly, right? That just seems... Even she knows that it's weird in exactly. the movie. Exactly. It is a tale of, you know, caution about the choices you make in life. This is not a good choice. Ultimately, if these two characters fictional characters end up together it will just be because of a series of their choices and interactions and let them go on their merry way or whatever happens fictionally to them but you just watch and then you're like yeah that's not a good move (laughs) for a 25 year old person that's what it's about to me with fiction the movie punch drunk love by paul thomas anderson is also a very similar type of love story just with two different people Mm mm-hmm Adam Sandler's character in that, Barry, is he's not 100% with it, is he? He's, there's something going on. He's on the, on the spectrum. I don't know what, what it is. You know, with his pudding cup counting. Sure. And, and then there's that lady who's just like a lady who sees him. But she's also a bit, you know, and she's they volatile. fit together. Or yep. they both fit together. And this is the same. It's just not as extreme. 
It's just an age gap. And the reality of real life is we're all kind of fucked up. You know, we're all, there is no perfect, what's the, what's a good movie where it's just like two kind of boring standard people who, whatever. Like, You've got mail. Show me the money, right? That movie, whatever that movie was. Jerry Maguire, like two kind of boring people who kind of trip around each other. Bridget Jones Diary, that kind of shit. Or yeah, we've got, you've got mail. Just vanilla love story. Yeah, and it's sort of, they're all elevated and everybody kind of says and does the right thing, but they're a little awkward and silly and, oh, are they going to get together, right? All that's fiction. It isn't life. It isn't how it works. Everybody's got like their thing. I know people whose spouse, both male or female, is up to 10 to 15 years older, right? When they got married, is irrelevant. It's just that they're stayed together and they've got kids or helping raise each other's kids or whatever. In a fictional situation, you'd be like, oh, we don't want to touch that one, right? Because yeah. that sounds... Uh, but as soon as <laughs> this story... uncomfortable. As soon as this started rolling, I forgot about an age gap, to be fair. Like, oh, I didn't. I was cognizant of it every single scene because I just wondered, how is it going to... Is he going to address it? Does it ever become a thing? Are we going to find out this guy isn't 15? That was one of the things that crossed my mind. Right. Like, is it possible he's actually 20 because, and he lied and she never asked or, you know, because she doesn't know, right? He could have been stuck in that school for five extra years. <laughs> you don't know. That never happened. But yeah, I was very, I was thinking about it all the time. So this is also how it works is it's set in the San, San Fernando Valley. Is that right? It's in a particular time, so things are going on politically and... 1972, wasn't it? 72, yeah. 73. It's got the backdrop of that. So you know what that reminded me of? Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, mm. which Tarantino recently did. There was a story going on, but the backdrop is what is happening in that era. Yeah. In that case, it was like... And at the end of this movie, you know when that weird guy turned up? He was looking at the... Mm-hmm. I was like, is this like a serial killer thing? Oh, I didn't I, even and think I was of like, that. Is, is he going for a Once Upon a Time in Hollywood vibe? Because I was like, is that guy who we're supposed to know? But it didn't really turn out to be much. It did didn't, it. actually, no. Like a red herring? I was like, is that, you know, yeah. M Manson or something? Is that? Oh, no, I didn't think of that. But it did have vibes of um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. You know the part, the whole Sean Penn part, for instance? That yeah. felt like like it came from another movie to me. It was sleazy, a bit weird. It was sleazy Hollywood dude sleezing on young woman, sleezing, sleezing, sleezing. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I can say about that whole like, entire scene. It was disgustingly sleazy. Like, I really like the structure of Paul Thomas Anderson films because sometimes they are very structured, a.k.a. Magnolia. But then other times, like this, sometimes you feel like you went from one thing to a totally different thing. And the totally different thing doesn't really have a major hook to the movie, like the Sean Penn thing. Mm -hmm. If it wasn't even in the movie, it wouldn't matter, right? Absolutely. But it's an interesting thing that these two get into that kind of makes the relationship stronger in a way. What it did for me was tell you more about this young lady. Like, she's not some sort of, like, noble, modern woman out to like, you know, be independent and all that kind of, I mean, I don't know how, how to say it exactly, but she's not that. She kind of falls in with and for 
semi-sleazy, appearing to be powerful people. Do you see what I'm saying? Like yeah. the Congress guy or whatever he is. I keep forgetting. Councilman. Councilman, The yeah. famous dudes. You know what I mean? There's this, like, she leans toward that. Like, it's giving her direction. And that told me more about her because she kind of fell into this, like, oh, you know, like, he's paying attention to me. But, in fact, he wasn't. He was just sort of drunk and, like, reliving his own youth it and all that kind exactly of stuff. It would be exactly the same thing the night before, but with a different woman. Correct, correct, Just exactly. him talking and somebody exactly. to listen to him. Exactly. And so I feel like that told us a lot about her. The scene itself, yeah, could have, I don't know, seemed... I thought the script part of that was excellent, though, where he's reading lines from a film, basically, and he's, <laughs> yeah. and she's looking at him kind of a bit drunk, a bit mesmerized, whatever. She's looking at him, and he's saying these words, and then she goes, is this real, or are we reading something? Exactly. Are you reading lines? Like, <laughs> because what's coming out of his mouth sounds like actually his bullshit. Correct. <laughs> Which Correct. So I really did enjoy all that stuff, and I'm glad it's in there, but... It's inconsequential, I think, to the movie. I don't. I disagree. I think it's very important to tell us more about her. Like, we don't need to meet Bradley Cooper's guy, but it, it does add a lot of fun to it. Do you get what I mean? I John disagree Peters. with you completely. I think these are all vital because you see that thing about her, and we see it, and she was totally willing to go along with this dude. I mean, if she hadn't fallen off the motorcycle and stayed on for the jump and the jump hadn't gone weird, he would have kept his arm around her, probably slept with her. You see what I'm saying? Like, that would have been a whole thing. Because I yeah. think that was where she wanted to kind of, like, she wanted to go that direction. It didn't work out that way. But it tells me that she's fighting inside herself this urge to, like, follow that. Like, I'm supposed, I'm a 25-year-old young woman in Hollywood area. Should I follow this politician? Should I follow this actor guy? But, oh, over here I've got this 15-year-old entrepreneur yes this hustler guy on uh, opportunist and i really dig him but i feel like that's wrong so i'm got i gotta try these other things i think they're vital and then when we see our young dude up against the brad cooper character and he's un unflinching and then because of the way that guy acted our characters decide who bradley cooper is bradley cooper is john peters who was Boyfriend, girlfriend with, lived with Barbara Streisand, which is hilarious scene, by the way, how to say <laughs> her name, back in the 70s. And he's like a jerk. He acts like a real dick to these guys. They're putting a waterbed into his house. And he's like, if you destroy my house, I will kill your family. I will choke your little brother and all this stuff, you know. Well, our main character just sort of like faces him down. He's like, okay, okay. But then he, the girl, our two main characters are very ornery. They're being threatened by some powerful person, right? But they don't give a shit. Right. They just lay the hose in the floor of the bedroom. They're like, fuck it, we're out of here, right? Like, screw this dickhead guy. And that tells you about the two of them together. He's pretty brave. And she's willing, she's, this is more her than the other stuff is, right? So yeah. I feel like those things are very important. Like have a need for each other. Like he can't drive in some of the movies. She's driving him around. True. She's good at one thing, he's good at the other. Like the telephone calls, for instance, when they're trying to sell waterbeds. You know, so they bounce off each other. You know the end part where the love comes together, let's say? Yeah. Did you find that really powerful? Um, don't know about powerful. I like the kind of flash of lightning in the background or whatever it was, like the white. It was that light that kept going around. Yeah, but it's the... Uh, it was a spotlight. It's the punch-drunk love scene. It's 
Right. It had <laughs> flipped around flare. multiple times yeah. in different scenes, so it wasn't That's what unexpected. it's supposed to be, though. Yeah. When it hits, it's like, if you've seen the end of Punch Drunk Love, it's the same. Look, love just happened. Deal with it. Right? Right. I guess. I didn't see it. I don't see it that way, <laughs> but that's, you know. I totally see it that way. I know. Because the music and everything about it. Also, great soundtrack. It's a lot of 70s music, obviously. But Johnny Greenwood from Radiohead also is longtime collaborator with Mr. Anderson. He does the incidental music, which is awesome. As soon as it started, you know, when she's walking and he starts talking to her. Mm-hmm. And there's Nina Simone playing in the background. And then it goes into that Johnny Greenwood thing. It's like, I, I'm like, yes, I'm watching a Paul Thomas Anderson film. I'm watching a tracking shot and I'm listening to this kind of music. Because he's very romantic, isn't he? He's very romantic, yes. And the music. Well, romantic-ish, let's say. Romantic in an effed up way, let's say. <laughs> yes. Realistically, or maybe, yeah. Because it does give you a certain feel in his movies. And this Absolutely. one immediately, if you would have put this on and not told me what it was. I would have known who it was by because I can see his fingerprints all over it. Can you? Absolutely. I mean, uh, the music, not so much because I'm not the music person the like shots, you are. The shots, for sure, though. Definitely. I mean, he the uses... The vibe, the attention to detail in the sets, the sort of effed upness of all the people and the tiptoeing into the taboo department where you're a little uncomfortable with everybody and everything. And yeah. I felt, it felt like an amalgamation of all these previous... I'm not saying it's like he's doing the same thing. I'm saying, like, all the things he's learned about filmmaking, it's all in here. Mm. And you can spot it all. Like, you can go, you know, that's a camera move that he did in Punch Drunk Love. That's something from There Will Be Blood. That's something from Magnolia. The way he put the music in that scene, you know, I can see all those things. And when I'm watching this movie, I'm technically trying to piece all that stuff together. Weirdly. I feel like that's sad because... No, it's really enjoyable. I love it. <laughs> I've seen his movies so many times and I've gone back over scenes and Punch Drunk Love, I've watched a lot. I don't think yeah. you've watched it that much. Have no, I think I've seen it one time. If you watched it now, like you'd see the similarity to that and this. They're the closest, I think, together. The way it looks. There's a lot of lens flares. Yep. I mean, some people don't like lens flares. I don't I like lens flares, but it's appropriate. Yeah. So. And Punch Drunk Love has a lot of lens flares too. It's like a, it's a stylistic choice. Sometimes it doesn't make sense, but I think it works in his movies. He's not doing a J.J. Abrams, let's say. I mean, at times, it's a bit, <laughs> it's, uh, it's out there. He just likes to have a lot of lights and often they catch the camera, right? So that's... Yeah, I mean, you're going to defend him no matter what. Yeah. So I know this. I found this movie... Very funny. Like, I didn't expect it to be as funny as it was. There's a scenario, and it's an action scene pretty much, in the middle of this movie, where they're in a truck. Yeah, I loved it. It's it literally my an favorite, action scene. My favorite scene in the whole movie. Yeah, it's like you're on the edge of your seat because you're like, what is going to happen here? You know, let's say it's a truck that's run out of fuel, and it's on a very steep, um, you know, San Fernando Valley road, and it has to get to where it's going. I was like, on the edge of my seat. I was like, oh. An action scene broke out. I didn't expect that. And there's a load of things I didn't expect. Like when he gets arrested out of the blue. Yeah. And then the rest of the time I'm like, oh, is yeah. that, did he, are we going to find out that. That he did something? He did do something. I mean, that was on my mind the whole time. I don't know if that actual scene was to plant that in your mind or it was just like an out of the blue scene. Like anything can happen. Hmm. True. 
Paul Thomas Anderson again, anything can happen. Frogs fall out of the sky in one of his movies. So I'm just saying I love this movie and we're going on to the cast. Alana Heim plays Alana. Tell them about the Heim because the Heim. About Heim. Heim are a band, a group of three sisters who play music. They've had three albums. I'm a fan. And you've been a fan for many years. Been a fan before I even knew they were connected to Paul Thomas Anderson yeah. in some way. And they are kind of connected to him. They're connected because their mother, their mother. was his art teacher, correct? Or and music he teacher. he had a crush on her as a child, teenager. And he always remembered because she was very encouraging of his art. And later on in life, they kind of met again. And then he got friends with the, with the girls and then now Paul Thomas Anderson makes Heim's music videos. So that's the connection. Now, Alana Heim is the star of this movie, one of the stars. She's never acted before. She's done plenty of music, but never acted. Which instrument does she play? Or do they all play a lot of different instruments? Um, Alana plays. Mm, quizzing She's you. not the bass, because that's Esty, who pulls the funny face when she's playing the bass. Listen to you, you know stuff. She would be drums, I imagine. Mm. You imagine or you know. See, you're failing the fan test. Yeah. So Alana's first acting job, what did you think? She was awesome. I mean, both of them are awesome. I, I was compelled to just constantly watch her. and. Yeah, you wouldn't think it was somebody's first acting job. I wouldn't really want anyone to think about it. I think you should just watch it and yeah. be like, not thinking about it. So if you're thinking about it, then you should. What I really liked about it is her actual two sisters and a mum and dad are her sisters and mum and dad in this movie. And they're all called what they're called, Esty and... Yeah, they got their own name. Use their own names, yeah. So that might confuse some people who think, oh, well, do Haim live in that house? Is that what's going on? But no, they're actually different people. They just use the same names. But I really loved her in it. I thought she was... Her connection with... Cooper Hoffman, who we're going to mention next, he plays Gary. Now, Cooper Hoffman is the son of Philip Seymour Hoffman, one of my favourite actors, who unfortunately is not with us anymore. What did you think of Cooper? Also, first time actor. Commanding of that screen every minute that he's on it. Like, absolutely drawing your attention, Your the whole of him is right there in front of you. You just, when his character says, I'm a showman... It's like he's infused with that, and I bought it. Look, Lennon Singer, I thought it was great. I think this movie, smartly, it opens on that dialogue between them, Gary and Alana, when they walk in, where he notices that she says things twice. Yeah. That dialogue there really makes you want to be with them, like, immediately. I'm like, whoa, these two are just like firecrackers. Oh, I see what you're saying, yeah. Yeah, so that was smart to start like that. Sean Penn plays Jack Holden. What do you think of Sean? I mean, he's Sean Penn, and he was fine. He was sleazy AF, and, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, that character was just a little bit work. bananas. Like, yeah, well, he's an old actor who apparently did lots of movies in his past. Yep. Old as in Sean Penn's age. No offense, because he's probably only about 10 years older than me. You know, a man sort of past his the years of doing the stunts on the motorcycles and being with Grace Kelly and all that kind of stuff. And he just wants to relive it constantly and like command the room at the restaurant and everybody pays attention to him. And yeah. Yeah. He did a fine job of that. What he came for was exactly what it was. Yeah. 
He also brought with him Tom Waits, who plays Rex Blau. When I say he brought him with him, Sean Penn literally brought Tom Waits to the set. Oh, right. <laughs> He's like, this guy could be in this movie. And Paul Thomas Anderson's like, of course. So what did you think of it? I mean, it's not in much, to be it fair. It was fine. I mean, I find them very unappealing, the way they portray these men. So I mean, they did a fine job if that was the goal or if they're just trying to be like throwback Hollywood, you know, the kind of like everybody hop to the eighth hole and bring the vodka and the it chairs. Is that, and isn't it? I find that really repulsive. <laughs> and so if that's what they're, if they're trying to be impressive, I'm not into it. If they're trying to be like, these guys are past their, they're out of date. I'm like, yes, they did that perfectly. We've got Bradley Cooper as John Peters. It's a small scene. You know, he's, he's in a little portion of the movie, five, ten minutes maybe. It's very memorable, I think, because it's very funny. The part of him, yes, him with the Streisand part is hilarious. Even when he's in the truck with his can of gas and um, I mean, gets a bit sleazy and weird. Kind of. That's not my favorite. I wouldn't remember that part, but definitely the part about the the name. That's all I remember. The part that I remember highly is where later on he's like just walking past that post office. Oh, yeah. And he's just like, <laughs> he's got this weird like twitchiness about him. Like he's kind of. Okay, irritated. here's his whole story. He's with Byron Streisand. He's pissed off because the waterbed people who are our young characters are late to put the waterbed in because there's a gas shortage and they couldn't fill the truck up. And he says, that's a bullshit excuse. Basically, what if I shoved that excuse up your penis hole? That's where that came from. Yep. He says. I'm going to get in that Ferrari. Was it a Ferrari, Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever? Yeah. And I'm going to be on the movie on time. You know why, asshole? Because I've got gas. So later, and he's real <laughs> cocky and he's really terrible. Later, what happens? He comes storming back up the street. Why? Because his car ran out of gas. Yeah, so he's, he's a dickhead. He looks like a fool. Then he insists that they take him to the gas station. Then he throws a big fit. Like Then later, because they abandon him, he throws another fit, crashes a window of a storefront, he walks past us in a, in a fit of rage, but then these two ladies walk past in sort of sexy outfits, and we see him enter the frame again real quick and starts hitting on them. So he's just this terrible, terrible person. That's what I'm saying. He's memorable for sure. You'll remember for sure. that character. I'll also put on Maya Rudolph, who's Paul's wife. She plays Gail, but blink and you miss her. She's, she's in one scene, right? Is uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's family are in this? All of the kids? Who else? Well, there's a Spielberg daughter. There's a apparently. Spielberg There's um, Leonardo DiCaprio's father is in it. Yes. This... I mean, they're inconsequential, though, and I don't, I'm not trying to be rude, but they're not players. They're just in it. They are in it, and they make up the population of this world, but they're not, they don't play a, even Bradley Cooper's character, once he's in and da -da -da, does his thing, hits on her, and then he's out of it. It's yeah. more for, like, the... You know, look at this other char colorful character we're encountering. Everybody else is just sort of there. All right, so directed by Paul Thomas Anderson, Magnolia, Boogie Nights, The Master, There Will Be Blood, Inherent Vice. You know these movies. Yeah, they're the list of, like, your favorite movies of all time. Pretty much. I'm too biased. He's my favorite director. That's what no, I was saying. I don't think you're too biased. I think that's totally fair. Yeah. I mean... I mean, you have to love some... I mean, I don't have a super favorite director person, but... I find I his, pretty much all these movies very powerful. You feel like you watched a movie every time. Well, that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you feel like it's something to think about. Like, I can watch Licorice Pizza again right now. And I'm sure that you will. 
Tomorrow, will, probably. Yeah, with a commentary or something, you know? Oh, come on. I know what you'll do. You'll get your cup of tea, you'll sit on the couch, and you will just sit there and marinate in it. That's my new phrase, by the way, to marinate in things. Uh, a person at work, she kind of looked at me funny like, that's kind of gross. I'm like, I know it sounds gross. <laughs> a raw piece of meat soaking up some oil and vinegar. But think about what it's doing. It's just slowly soaking in the flavor, right? The essence. So I figure that's what you'll do. You'll sit on the couch, totally chill alone, because I'll be I'll at certainly work. watch it again. Yeah. I feel like it might be one of his most rewatchable movies, too. It's not super heavy like Magnolia is. It's more lighthearted, to be fair. Because it's, it's almost a comedy, right? In Paul um. Thomas Anderson terms. <laughs> it's got a lot of like funny characters and just I don't funny know. dialogue. I feel like Hard Eight kind of skirts that too. It's a little bit ridiculous at times, right? Or am I remembering it wrong? You're, it's very, very serious. Oh. <laughs> you are definitely remembering Because I'm remembering that. like a motel room and something happening. Yeah. Gwyneth Paltrow. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty, and uh, Philip Baker Hall. It's pretty, it's pretty intense, Hard Eight, to be fair. Uh, Boogie Nights is kind of funny, I would say, but mm. it's also very tragic and violent. Correct, correct. So I'll definitely be watching again. IMDb reviews, what are those? Those are reviews you find on a website called imdb.com. You look for the one stars because you find them hilarious. First guy says, ugly and boring. Ugly? One, ugly script, ugly characters, ugly cinematography. Everything is ugly about this film. And it's also boring on top of that. That's number one. Do you agree with any of that? Obviously not. People are just terrible. Let's just be honest. People are terrible. I'm terrible too, because I will judge you for certain things. I'll judge you for just being like, what do you want? What the fuck do you want in a movie then? Yes. Described it precisely exactly what you want every person to look like. Right? Are they from America's Next Top Model? What are you talking about? Ugly. I'll be, I sound defensive, but I'm just saying, what are you talking about? How can that like, let me rewind because now I sound like a hypocrite. Because to me, the sleazy characters kind of distract me from them and make me dislike them. But I feel like that's what the writer director wants me to feel. You know, I feel like that's intentional. Whereas somebody going, ooh, everybody's ugly. It looks ugly. Well, I don't know. It irritates me. Number two says, if you enjoy pretentious movies where nothing actually happens, go ahead. This guy, Paul Anderson, also made Resident Evil, which was much better. <laughs> wrong Paul Anderson. Yeah, wrong. So wrong. if you're a fan of that Paul Anderson, this Paul Anderson's a bit different. A little bit, a little bit. And finally... This guy says, the main component of this movie is sex with a minor. This is not acceptable. Nobody should watch this. If the genders were opposite, would you still praise the film? Don't let your eyes get used to seeing this, because later your mind will, your mind will accept any nonsense. This movie is about pedophilia. It is opening the way for all the deviants. I can't disagree completely with the idea that you are that you're sanctioning this 25-year-old woman circling around this 15-year-old. But again, there is no... In this movie, we're not talking about a full-on sexual relationship like we are in... What was that movie where she had a thing with her 
stepdad. It was right. like Teenage Diary or something like that. I forget what it was called. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. Yeah. I don't recall if she was old enough, if she was legally old enough or not. But I get what they're saying. I'm not disagreeing with the idea that as soon as you see this, you're like uncomfortable with like, oh, what's this woman's motivation, right? I get that. First off, the dialogue in this film is as cringy as Juno. Warning, the movie has gingers in it. Gingers are the worst. They have no soul and lots of freckles. The movie is full of revisionist, woke culture apologist nonsense. And this director, who I've never heard of before, has no clue how to storyboard. He can't develop a protagonist to save his life. And he doesn't have a third act. This dude needs to go to film school. (laughs) I mean, I don't agree with any of that. But then there you go. There you go. So that's the IMDb reviews for this week. Extras, we didn't see any because we watched the streaming version. There will be a Blu-ray soon with extras. Scores. I'm going to give Licorice Pizza a 9 out of 10. Of course you are. (laughs) I would expect nothing less. I mean, I can't give it a 10 because... I agree. Yeah. Magnolia is a 10 for me. So I have to give this a 9, but it's really close. It's very good. (laughs) And I'm going to give it like an 8.5. Well, I am going to... Say, I don't agree with that score. (laughs) It's probably the same score you gave Resident Evil the other week. Uh, It was not. (laughs) I promise it was not. Thank you to Paul Thomas Anderson for making movies, and please make another movie soon. Thank you. Next week, we have the review of the movie, A Journal for Jordan. It's Denzel Washington's... He's directing it. All right. He's not in it. He's directing it. So... A journal for Jordan will be next week. Movie recommendations. I am going with Punch Drunk Love because this reminded me of it a lot. Okay. Okay. And I'm also going to go with Magnolia, which is the best movie ever made. (laughs) Is it, Mr. Star Wars? I mean, it's, yeah, I think it is. Okay. I'm fascinated by this um, revelation. (laughs) It's not a revelation. Well, it is to me, because I've known you a long time, and to say that this is, that, yeah. Uh, my recommendations are going back to the 1990s, and I'm in 1991. I'm giving you five movies per week, not based on quality, but just that I've seen them, and they exist, and then you can watch them <laughs> this week. <laughs> That's a great basis for a recommendation, I think. This week, Doc Hollywood, right on. Yeah. Michael J. Fox. Late for Dinner. It's one of those where a couple of dudes accidentally get cryo-frozen, and then they wake up, you know, like 20 years later. Accidentally fall into... But you know what it is? It's like Futurama, but before Futurama, and it's a re- action, live-action movie. You know Futurama? Yes. He fell into the thing accidentally, wakes up a thousand years later or four thousand years later, I forget. Beauty and the Beast, as the, you know, the animated one. Yeah, Cape, that's a good one. Cape Fear. That's very good. Juliette Lewis. And Frankie and Johnny with, I think it is. Frankie and Johnny. Johnny Depp. And I don't know the young lady's name who was in it at the time. I don't know Frankie and Johnny. I don't, I really don't know it. It's off your scope. Yeah. Then that is it. So a Scully stuff. I've been playing more Horizon Forbidden West. Sid Talk's been watching still. Yeah. It's really fun. We, we moved the story on slightly, right? We don't want to spoil the story. It's good. Just know that I've been playing that. 
not really more to say about it. But what is new this week that I've been playing is Gran Turismo 7. It's the seventh version of this racing game. The last one, number six, came out, I think it was six years ago, maybe more. So there's been a huge gap in between them. And it's really a fun racing game. You know what I like about it? That they don't change what it is. Now, you might say, well, they should change it, right? They should just keep it evolving. Well, they evolve it like the way it looks. It looks better every time, but they keep, like I said to you, people complain that you have to take a driving test in this game and you have to get your license before you can actually race. People say that that sucks and you shouldn't have to do that. I say, give me more of a driving test, make it last longer and make it really involved because those are fun. Like, you know, the... So people don't like you then. Is that what I'm hearing? <laughs> yeah, the driving tests are You're that like, guy. It does like small missions. So the first thing is like, we'll put you in a car, drive in a straight line, and when you see the box, stop in the box. So it learns you how to accelerate and how to brake. And then the next one will be, we're going to go around a corner. Go around the corner without crashing. All is good. And the driving tests get more and more complicated. And eventually you'll be doing things like taking a Formula One car around a wet corner or, you know, doing a whole lap of something without ever going off the track. And what it does is it teaches you the basics of the game. And then when you actually come to the tracks, you understand what's going on and you understand the handling. You understand how much you have to break. So I think it's a good thing to learn before you do it. But some people are like, well, you shouldn't have to do that. You should just be able to race straight away. I don't think so. So that's Gran Turismo 7. I'm playing the PlayStation 5 version. The other thing that's great about it is it loads instantly. There's no load times. I love that because GT6, it would have been like 30 to 45 seconds between every race. You had to sit and watch a loading screen. It got really annoying. And I'm glad that's not a thing anymore. And let's be clear. You mention this every single time I come in the room. Oh my God, the loading screen. Oh my God, the loading time is so awesome. Oh, this loading time is so great. It's so the, it has a big impact on you. It's the single sure. greatest upgrade that the PlayStation 5 has brought, I think. Yeah, everything looks better. The SSD, which is why it can load fast. It doesn't have a mechanical hard drive. It has an SSD. And the SSD is like super fast, faster than what's in any PC. And it's just the single best thing. They can't go back now because you would be like, what the hell? I have to wait 30 seconds? You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yes. Like, I could be playing the game in that 30 seconds, which I can now because, like, Horizon Forbidden West takes about two seconds from the title screen to actually play in. It's so. pretty impressive. Yeah, it is impressive. And the third game I've been playing is a game called Music Racer Ultimate on the PlayStation 5. Do you remember the game Rock Band, Sid Talk? Uh, yes. Yeah, well, or Guitar Hero even. Let's say it's Guitar Hero, like, you you know, there's lanes with notes on them. But instead of you holding a guitar, you're holding the controller, and you're a car, and your car has to hit all the notes, and your car can only move into three positions, left, right, or middle. So as the notes come down the track, you have to hit them all and collect them, basically, and try and do it in a streak without missing any to get a higher score. And... It comes with like 12 music tracks, but there is a new feature where you can go online and you can search for an artist. It will pull down the, a track from the artist and you race that artist's track. 
Right. You can also upload your own music to this service and download it and race your own music. So you can... I wish, actually, that you could copy your own music to your PS5 and then do it that way, but that doesn't work. You get what I'm saying? You're a car going down a track, you're hitting all the notes, you're getting a high score. It's Guitar Hero, but without the guitar. Got it. Really fun, really good visuals. It's like neon. Um, The thing that I like, pink, blue, neon 80s style. You're in, like, different cars that you can unlock. And there are cars... And things that you might recognize, like Tron light cycles, even though they don't say the word Tron because it's not licensed, it looks identical to a Tron light cycle. So that's Music Racer Ultimate. It's available on pretty much everything, but the PS5 version is new, and it has the instant load times, and you can upload your own music and play your own music. So, Sitok, what's for dinner? Well, tonight, thank you for asking. We're telling you because we're vegetarian. People think we're starving to death. Or we have some sort of agenda about eating animals. We do not. We just don't eat the animals anymore, but we do. We're not vegan. So you can look that up. It's not us. What we're having is a vegetable sandwich, as you would call it, a sarnie. Right? Yeah. So instead of a a Subway or instead of a Jimmy John, we're making our own. Listen to us. We're so ambitious. And we're having baked beans out of a can. How's it? English people either call it, you know, a sandwich. A sarnie, mm-hmm. or if you're from the north of England, like me, a butty. Oh, butty. Okay, then we're yeah. having a butty. So you'd have a chip butty. Am I saying it right? Butty. Not really. <laughs> butty. Butty. Like B-U-T-T-I-E? Yeah. Butty. Or it could be B-U-T-T-Y. That would also work. Okay, so butty. Yeah. I mean, I'm still going to So we're having a wrong. chip butty. Chip butty. Yeah, there, there we you go. go. There we go. Chip butty. All right. Stop offending all the north of England. <laughs> okay. So uh, what is your advice? And we'll get out of it. Uh, my advice is don't choose to do nothing just because you can't do everything. It's kind of, it's really basic, but, you know, a lot of people won't do anything because they can't, like, do it perfect or they can't do it. For example, tra- I have to train myself over the years, and I'm not a perfectionist because I think that's that doesn't really exist not really. People like to say it, but I don't believe it. <laughs> I'm sc- I'm cynical about that. You are. I really am. But I do have a thing where, like, if I'm drawing a banner or I'm making a thing or I'm making an image for somebody, you know, like for a T-shirt or for myself or anything, or I'm editing a picture, a photo, I get very granular and, like, obsessive, you know, like, this pixel is sticking out from the bazillion of pixels that no one else will ever notice. But I know it's there, so I have to fix it, I mean, right? I'm kind of like that. Yeah. And sometimes that translates, like if I zoom out, it can translate on a bigger scale. Like we have this little fence in our yard. It had a grapevine on it. It's died in, in the last 15 years since we've lived here. It's crumbling. It's kind of getting mold in it. It's, the wood is crumbling. And so there's this thing, like I, I tell you every year, I'm going to pull it out this year. I'm taking, I'm taking it out. It's out, right? Well, in the last couple of years, a couple of tree seeds have started to grow there on the little fence line. I kind of like the trees, but I'm like, well, I mean, if I'm not going to do it all, like rip it up and clear the land and cut down the trees, then fuck it. I'm not going to mess with it. Right. I choose to do nothing because I can't or I don't want to do everything. So yesterday, what did I do? I was like, screw it. I had a quart of white kills, which is just, you know, coat 
uh, primer stuff you can use to, for whatever. People know. Look it up. K-I-L-Z. <laughs> it's white. This fence has been gray, basically, chronically, since we lived here. I'm sure it had a different color originally. So I was like, screw it. I'm not going to rip it out. I'm not going to cut down the trees. I'm not going to clear out all this where the mint happens to grow every year. It's all rattly and there's leaves piled up there. And I'm not going to do everything, but I'm going to do something. And so I whitewashed, basically is what we call it, the fence. Every, you know, the posts and the things going across. I kind of pulled it together and straightened up the one that was broken and still needs a little bit of work. But I didn't choose to do nothing just because on that day when it was crossing my mind, I wasn't willing to do, or I didn't have the right everything to do everything. I just did a little bit. Now, that's not going to change the world. That thing that I did doesn't mean anything. But you can translate that to all kinds of stuff, like all kinds of stuff. If there's an organization or a group or anything going on in your community that you care about, but you think to yourself, well, I can't go volunteer for food night and I can't buy the uniforms because they don't have enough money or whatever. Well, they probably could, instead of, so then you choose to do nothing, like, and you go, oh, just, I'm too busy and I don't have enough money. I, I'll do nothing because I can't do everything. But just do a thing. Donate $5 to the next thing that they do. Ask them if they need anything. Someone to, on, to text somebody every week to remind them to do the thing. Whatever. Do a thing. It doesn't have to be all the things. So don't choose to do nothing just because at that time you can not do everything. Thank you very much. Well sure, said, sure. succinct and well It was to not the succinct, point. but I'll take it. You can go to ascully.com. That's where this podcast lives. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram is our social media. We're also on anchor.fm slash after the show, Spotify, iTunes, anywhere that podcasts are available. You can email feedback to me, ascully at ascully.com. Do not email Sita. Do not email Sita. <laughs> Do not email Sita or Sid Talk. Correct. She don't like you. <laughs> That's not true, but okay. And stay classy, Mr. Paul Thomas Anderson. You are very wonderful and I need more movies from you. Thank you. You are so beautiful. Beautiful, wonderful, everything. <laughs> and I'm going to say, think for yourself or someone will do it for you. 